We're going to start this morning, um, it's kind of always a little bit complicated because we've done so many sermon series and I just did not want to land in the same kind of uh, washing machine cycle as usual. So really in thinking and praying for this coming week, there have been a few things that were pressing on me that I thought, you know what, I am going to go in that direction. Um, but it does help me because you all will be receiving bookmarks with kind of the three key points for Bethel that we want to emphasize not only in the coming months, but just in our existence as we pastor this church and work together with you guys to spread the message of the kingdom of Christ. On the bookmark, you'll see the three E's, experience, engage, and um, equip, or empower, I'm sorry, empower. And so those become so necessary in the work of the gospel. But the first one that you have on there is encounter. And why do we believe that encounter is important? Well, it's the very name of this church, Bethel. Uh, originally, this church was called Bristol Assembly of God. Bam. But eventually, it became Bethel Christian Church of the Assemblies of God, and it still is to this day affectionately known as Bethel. And we know that from reading the Old Testament that Bethel was the place where Jacob experienced the presence of God. He saw a stairway leading up to heaven with angels ascending and descending. It was an open heaven that he received at that place. And eventually, in the ministry of Christ, Christ said that he was the one. He would be the staircase to heaven, and that the angels of God would ascend and descend upon him. And so when Bethel began to experience the fires of revival and the presence of God, it was an open heaven over this place. And I personally am a child of revival from my home church. I, when I came into Pentecostalism, I didn't know anything other than people operating in the gifts of the Spirit, people being saved and filled and baptized and evangelizing and the church filling up. And it was just, it was, it was the reality of church. And so that is something about Bethel that resonates with me personally, is that Bethel always has, is, and always will be a place where people can encounter Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Amen? That's what we want, isn't it? And so in the days in which we live, and we're just kind of getting close to our election, and some people get a little stuffed up and muddled up and tripped up, and I personally never get that way. Um, you know, a long time ago when I preached here at the church, I had uh, done a message, are you a Christian in America or you, are you an American Christian? And I referenced the story of Rip Van Winkle. And if you know that story, you know that he says, you know, he, in his story, the man had fallen asleep and he fell asleep during King George. So when he was looking on the wall of the tavern, there was a picture of King George. And when he woke up from his sleep all those years later, he woke up, it wasn't a king, it was a president, but his name was George too. Do you get the moral of the story? Yeah, it doesn't matter when you wake up in America. Yeah, I left 15, 16, 17, almost 17 years ago. There's nothing new under the sun. Problems still seem to be the same. Why? Because human nature is also human nature. The same struggle we had 17, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago is the same human struggle. But there was someone who walked in to that human struggle, and his name was Jesus. 
And when he walked into that human struggle, not only did he feel our pain and our sorrows, not only was he whipped and beaten and crucified for our sin, but when Jesus rose from the dead, he overcame sin, sickness, darkness, and every problem of humanity. And since Jesus has gone to the Father, he is interceding night and day for you and I. We have someone that we can run to. We have someone that we can go to with everything that ails us, with every problem that we have, with every societal evil that vexes our heart. We can run to Jesus and we can cry out to him. He wasn't just the answer 2,000 years ago. He is still the answer. He will always be the answer. And the biblical truth is this, and it will never fade. It will always stay the same, that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So simple, so easy. Everyone who calls upon his name shall be saved. Well, the Bible talks about salvation, but it also talks about perishing. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, in Proverbs 29, verse 18, it says, where there is a lack of vision, the people perish. That's a biblical account. In the book of Hosea, Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, it says the following, that my people are destroyed or my people perish for their lack of knowledge. Now that knowledge is not just general knowledge because they didn't pass a math test. The knowledge that the Bible is talking about here is the knowledge of God, the knowledge of the Holy One, the knowledge of a scripture. See, there is a famine in the land. There is an economic crisis in the land. There is a spiritual crisis in the land. And before the church points the finger at the world, the church first needs to point the finger at themselves. Where is this famine? Where is this deficit? Where is this evil that is rising up? It is rising up within our own ranks within the church. People are spiritually impoverished because they do not have a living, breathing, daily walk with God. People have a deficit because they are not in the word of God. They look at reading the Bible as a must, as if it's like taking a vitamin. No, the Bible is it's essential for your life. Reading the word and being in the word and living outside of the word. If you want to walk with him and talk with him and hear his voice, it's the word, it's the word, it's the word. Get into the word. And when we want to deal with the spiritual evils that are vexing our society, the very first thing that we need to do is look at ourselves. See, one thing that Protestantism lacks is we talk about the fact that we're guilty and we have sin in our life, but what we fail to understand is this, and it's a little bit of Roman Catholic theology, and that's okay if we balance it out correctly, but in Roman Catholic theology, there is always this understanding that the human being is capable of the worst evils. And Jesus reflects that in the Lord's Prayer when he says, Father, deliver us from the evil one. When he tells us to pray that prayer, he tells us, pray, lead us not 
into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one because Jesus understood how vulnerable we were as human beings here on this planet. See, Christians can scream everything under the sun. They can say all these things about their moral high horses, and I understand this, and believe me, I am all for morality. Do not get me wrong. But even my wife in her practice as a psychologist, she has seen situations where parents who were very much religious leaders and Christian leaders, they were very much against certain things. They were very much against abortions, but they had no issue driving their daughter to an abortion clinic when she got pregnant because it was going to ruin their reputation. See, we've seen it all as believers. We've seen it all within the context of church. And when I want to act like we've got our act together, we really don't. We need to understand that first we need to look at ourselves. And when the church is radically transformed by the power of Christ, the world will have no other option because they will be attracted to him. They are going to want what you have. They're going to desire the thing you have. But what the world doesn't want, they don't want your political viewpoint. They don't want you being on your moral high horse. What the world wants to see is people that are alive and well because the power of Christ is living inside of them. And when that power is living inside of them, everywhere they go, even in the most barren, desolate, and dry of circumstances, they are bearing and bringing life everywhere they go. Amen? Amen. And so God had said this, where there's no vision, the people perish. Where there's a lack of understanding of God, the people perish. So how do we live? If we don't want to perish, how do we live? It comes through an encounter with God. When we encounter him and all of his goodness and his greatness, it transforms our lives. If you have your Bibles with you, let's look in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 3. In Exodus chapter 3, it's the second book of the Old Testament. If you're new to Christianity or you've never been to church before, you can look it up on your phone, Exodus chapter 3. And it refers to the moment that a man named Moses has an encounter with God. His people, who are called the people of Israel, have been living in slavery for almost 500 years. However, his forefather was a man named Abraham who encountered God, and he's the one that brought Judaism into the world. He is the great, 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 great to the umpteenth power, grandfather of Jesus of Nazareth, the very man who saved us, healed us, and delivered us. And so we're going to see about Moses having this encounter with God. Exodus chapter 3 from the New International Version, it says, Now Moses was tending to the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. 
Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place that you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. This is the very first place where we see, aside from the account of Abraham, that God is encountering a man. That God decides to intervene and interject himself into human history. When everything is going oh so wrong, God is making sure that everything can go oh so right. And so Abraham is there in the middle of the wilderness and he's tending to the flocks of his father-in-law and he is just at the point where God is about to call him to deliver more than one million people from slavery in Egypt. He is going to tend to a flock that's more than a bunch of stinky sheep, but they are going to be men, women, and children that he will lead away from the most powerful empire of the ancient world. And so Moses has this radical encounter with God where this bush appears to be burning, but it doesn't burn up. And so God calls out to Moses himself. He calls him by name, and Moses responds, here I am. But later on in the text, we know that when Moses asked God, when you send me to this people, who should I say is the one that sent me? And so God says to Moses, the most clever thing ever, he says to him, tell them that I am has sent you. I am. Nothing more and nothing less. Yahweh, Jehovah, everything that you need everything that you could desire, everything that your heart would ever need, everything that your soul needs can be found in me. So when you go to Egypt, the land of many gods, when you go to that place, when they worship everything that crawls and flies and jumps, when they worship Pharaoh himself as a god, tell him, I am has sent you. And so this powerful name of God is revealed in the Old Testament. And this name encapsulates everything of what God is because if he says he is just one thing, he limits himself and he limits his power. This very text is about revelation, that God reveals himself to sinful humanity. The very next thing that God does is he ensues relationship. He calls Moses and he says, take off your sandals. The ground you are standing on is holy and come near to me. The God of the Bible sees us in our circumstances. He knows our sin. He knows our weakness. He knows our inadequacies, our iniquities. He knows everything that keeps us back from him. He knows all about the skeletons in our closet. He knows all about our dirty laundry. But yet he calls us by name. And he implores us, come, come. Because it is in that encounter with God that we become transformed. The Bible says that Moses hid his face. But later on we see in the Bible that he purposely hid his face because the glory of God was shining upon him. 
And because Moses desired this relationship with God, we see over and over again that God was willing to encounter Moses. If you have your Bible again, let's look in Exodus, the 34th chapter, Exodus 34, verses 6 and 7. Exodus 34, 6 and 7. One of the most beautiful passages in all the Bible, according to me, where God reveals himself in that moment. It's right before the Ten Commandments are given to the people of Israel. It says in Exodus 34, and I'll start from verse 4, it says, So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord commanded him. And he carried the two stone tablets in his hand. And then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name. Get ready, I love this part. The Lord, I am. Verse 6, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming. So he was preaching, people. He wasn't just being soft-spoken. He said, the Lord, the Lord the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. Moses bowed to the ground at once and worshiped. Lord, he said, if I have found favor in your eyes, then let the Lord go with us. Let the Lord go with us. God revealed his power yet again. He revealed something here in this text about his very nature. I've said it and I'll say it a bazillion times as long as I am the pastor. We know that God is loving and he is merciful, and he is compassionate. He is willing to forgive, but he is just, he is righteous, and as much as he favors and loves to bless, he is also willing to punish and to curse. And if we cannot accept that about him, then we should not call ourselves by his name. If we can only accept the good parts of his character and personality, we are not worthy of him. How can a God who is so loving and just allow this to happen? How can a God who is so loving and just cause people to go to hell, is what I've heard people say. How can a God who is so loving and just send his one and only son and say whoever believes in him will have eternal life? He made it so simple. All we have to do is believe. He never made it complicated. He never put up barriers or limitations or restrictions. He didn't make us come through a temple system. He didn't make us have to sacrifice animals. He sacrificed his one and only son, Jesus. And he said, if that is not enough to save humanity, there is nothing more I can do for you. If we don't want to say that he's compassionate and loving and just, then we don't understand who he is. 
And that is why the Bible assures us in the text that people are destroyed for their lack of knowledge of God. That is why people perish, because they don't have a vision of God through his word. They base God on their own human understandings. In the words of the writer A.W. Tozer, he wrote in his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, when we make a God according to our own liking, we have created an idol. When we make a God who does not look, sound, or act like the God of the Bible, we have made our own idol, and that is worse than making a golden calf. See, because the God of the Bible has revealed himself, he revealed himself through the very word of God. Like I said from 2 Timothy, all scripture is God-breathed. Not just the parts you like, but every single part of it. And so when we accept the word of God, we also accept God for who he is. Now, one of the most beautiful things that leads us from the Old Testament understanding into the New Testament understanding is Jesus himself who reveals himself in the Gospel of John seven times, if not more, as the great I am. There are theologians that try to discuss that. They try to rebuttal that. They try to say that Jesus never wanted to show himself as being God. He never wanted to show himself as being deity. However, the only person who spoke of themselves as I am was the one who revealed himself to Moses. Because the Jewish people regarded the name of God as being so holy, they never even spoke it out. They referred to him as Hashem, the name. And so when Christ came, and in the Gospel of John, but in every other Gospel, we see again and again and again, he is revealing himself, not only as his humble servant who will die on a cross, but he shows himself as being the very God of gods. He's not a God. He is God. He is the Son of Man, but He's the Son of God. He is the second person of the Trinity. And so in John's Gospel, he refers to himself as the following seven things. We're not going to look them up, but you can write them down. He says, I am the bread of life. John 6, 35. Whoever eats of me will never hunger again. He says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever walks in me will never know darkness. He says in John 10, 9, I am the door. You can only enter through me. He says in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. My sheep know my voice. He says in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will not perish because I will raise him up on the last day. He says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We live in a world of pluralism where everyone wants all kinds of ways to get to God. They will say you can get there through Hinduism, Buddhism, you can get there through Islam, you can get there through Judaism, but see, Jesus stepped into the world and made it emphatically clear there is only one way to be saved, like it or not, and it is through 
Jesus. Jesus alone, only him in his name, in his blood, through the power of his resurrection. The last thing that Jesus says is in John 15, 1. He says, I am the vineyard, and my father is the vine dresser. I am the very source of life and abundance, and my father is the one who takes care of all of it. Jesus showed himself in the Gospel of John through the I am statements. He showed himself through miracles because he wanted people to know that through believing in his name, they would receive life and life abundantly. When you have life and life abundantly, you don't have to worry about perishing. When I was a child and I grew up, we were very much entrenched in end times theology as a child. Nothing wrong with it but it was constantly living in this state of fear. If Jesus were to return, would I be ready? Would I be found worthy? And at one point, I developed quite an arrogant attitude because I'd have friends that would freak out. We'd come home, their parents would be gone, mom or dad's jacket would be on the chair, and that wasn't normal of them. And they'd be like, oh my gosh, I think the rapture happened. And I'd look at them and say, I'm still here. See, because I believe that knowing Christ, when you walk with him, when you talk with him, when you are encountering him in your life every day because you love him, you have no fear. Never. That's why I love what David says, even from the Old Testament, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil. You are with me. He says again, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Shall I be afraid? See, David from the very Old Testament had that revelation of God. Moses had that revelation of God. Abraham had that revelation of God. In the New Testament, we see men and women having that revelation of Christ and their lives were transformed that the Bible says again in the book of Revelation, they loved not their life even unto death. The things of this world don't matter. You're not afraid of anything. That doesn't mean that you live like a jerk to other people. But what that means is things don't faze you. You're not touched by it because you know that your life is hidden with Christ and God. One of the funniest moments in the Gospel of John is John 18.6. The guards are going to arrest Jesus on the night that he is betrayed. And so they cry out to him, and they call out to him. And they want to know where Jesus is. And of course, we know he receives the kiss of death, the kiss from Judas, a friendship kiss that betrays him. But the guards still ask him, are you Jesus of Nazareth? And in John 18, 6, he responds to them with the following, I am. And the Bible says the following, at the moment that he proclaimed that, because he said the very words, Yahweh, I am. It says they withdrew and they fell onto the ground. These men that went to arrest Jesus had a powerful encounter with Jesus of Nazareth. The shameful thing is this. After that powerful encounter, they got back up off the ground and they arrested him anyway. What does that tell you? 
that even though people can encounter the power of God, they can still determine for themselves what they do with it. Even when God rips open the clouds and he comes down on Sinai, even when God comes in the form of Jesus, his one and only son, even when God speaks to your friends and your family and your neighbors through a New England accent, through your mouth, and you testify to his signs and wonders, even when you pray and you see the sick healed and you see people delivered, it still does not guarantee that they will enter into a relationship with him. See, God is always ready for the relationship. He cries it out about himself. He reveals himself as the I am who is willing to meet every single need every single day. But are you willing, are we willing, to want to rise up and meet him every single morning? See, church, he said to his disciples, I want you to know me. And I've used this word before, and I'll use it a bazillion times. It is this lovely word in the Greek language, epigonosko. It means to experience someone, to have intimate relationship with them. And he didn't mean it in the present tense only as a one-time deal, but in the Greek language, it is this continual language. I want you to know me, to get to know me, to continue to know me, to walk with me, and to talk with me, just like any other relationship that we have in our life. A relationship with Christ needs to be fostered on a daily basis. He is calling us, church. He's calling us into relationship. He is calling us into encounter with him. We have the midweek service together on Wednesday. We have that for a reason. We call it encounter for a reason. And the reason being is because we see the lack in our land. We see the lack in our churches of people that just want to get into the presence of God. People that just want to encounter him. Well, pastor, I'm going through all these troubles and my life is so busy and my life is falling apart and my kid this and my marriage this and financially this and I don't want to be mean to them, but I honestly want to tell them in my own life when the going got tough, I got into the presence of the Lord. When that church building was open, they couldn't open those doors fast enough. I was there. I was there, and I am still there to this day. I don't only come to Bethel because I'm the pastor. I come because I have come to see all your lovely faces. But I've also come to encounter God with you. I love him. I love him. And when you love him, you just want to spend time with him. You just want to hear his voice. You just want to grow in relationship with him. You don't want to treat it like, oh, well, pastor, you don't understand. I got saved 50 years ago. I know the Lord. Well, good for you. But are you bearing fruit? Are you bearing fruit? Are you living so radically in the presence of Christ that everywhere you go, the life-giving power of Christ is just spewing out of you that people are like, wow, wow. There's something about you. What is it? And see, church, that's a place that we all need to be at. It's been difficult for me personally, just moving to town, being a local, a new local in this area. You know, I'm used to knowing people. I'm used to being able to talk to people. Even my neighbors, it's been at a distance. It's killing me. 
And so we keep praying and asking the Lord, Lord, just show us a way during this time to be able to reach out to our neighbors. Not to force anything upon them. The second you say you're a pastor, they're like, oh, geez. But Lord, give us a way to be good neighbors to them. Give us a way to be light and life to them so that they know that you are living inside of us. And see, that's the goal that we want to get to, that Christ is dwelling and living within us. We want people to encounter God here every single Sunday, every Wednesday through the live stream. We want people to encounter God not only through our church services. We want people to encounter God through your lives. Our best advertisement is not in a newspaper. You're our best advertisement. Let's take a moment and pray. Jesus, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God of encounter and that you desire to meet with us. And Lord, because of that desire to want to meet with us, we also want to acknowledge that we want to meet with you. Lord, you've shown in your word that you want to be everything that we need every hour of every day. Lord, show us this morning how needy we are of you. And Lord, no matter what the circumstance might be, if it's a spiritual hunger, if it's a need in someone's life, I pray for every person here that they would make that decision for themselves. Lord, be the great I am for me today. Be the great I am for me today. Reveal yourself. Just like you did to Moses, to Abraham. Just like you revealed yourself to Mary Magdalene, to Peter. Reveal yourself to the men and women, the children, the youth that are here today. That we may know you. That we may know you. If you're here this morning and you want to just kind of make that commitment for yourself, I want to know him. Like the Bible says to know him. I want you to just stand to your feet. That is your way of just saying, Pastor and Lord, I'm making a commitment today. I want to know him more than ever before in my life. That he would work through me, that he would show himself through me, whatever it takes, whatever it's needed. And I would say, just like Moses, Lord, here I am. Here I am. Show me that you are the I am. Come, Lord. Come, Lord, in these moments, show yourself. Show yourself to every man, every woman, every child, every teenager. Show yourself. Lord, let them see your goodness and your greatness. Pass over us this morning with your presence. For those that are watching from home that are responding to you right now, pass over them with your presence. Let your spirit, the spirit of Jesus, just flood their hearts, flood their souls that they would know that you are who the Bible says that you are. Oh, Holy Spirit, you are welcome. Jesus, you are welcome. Father, you are welcome to fill our lives to overflowing. Just cry out to him in your own words, church.
just tell him you need him. Even if you're shy, just speak out the words. You don't have to shout. He can hear you. But just speak out the words to him. Lord, I need you. Here I am. Show yourself to me. Show yourself to me in this moment. forgive sin and iniquity but you are just you are righteous Lord you don't let the guilty go unpunished but we thank you this morning for Christ for Christ Jesus who provided a way that all men and women should be saved you provided a way that we could see you face to face that we could hear your voice and that we could know you we thank you for the Holy Spirit that gently nods and tugs at our heart so that we don't have to be afraid of a burning mountain in the wilderness. We don't have to be confronted with you in Jerusalem when everyone is against you. But Lord, in the privacy of this place, in our homes, our cars, in the setting of this gym that we can say to you, Lord, your Holy Spirit is speaking and I just want to follow you. I want to know you. Thank you that you make it so easy and so gentle and so simple. Lord, help me to respond to that call every morning as you call my name. Whether I hear it or not, you're calling my name every morning when I step out of my bed. Lord, empower me, fill me. Let me be your life-giving representative in this world. Lord, we dedicate this morning and these people to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.